All right. Will you guys stand with me? Let's just, let's, I just want to pray. <sighs> let's just, let's just take a few seconds to just experience the presence of God. Feeling him all around us, in and through us. Reminding ourselves that he's responsible for our every breath. His voice holding us together. We are because he is. Just waiting on him, waiting on him. Holy Spirit, we yield to you, to your hand, to your ways. Choosing to identify ourselves with your goodness, with your wholeness, and your holiness. fully yours. Thank you, Father, that we can step into your presence at any moment, that we can still ourselves and feel you, that we can lean in and hear. We can merge our thoughts with yours. Just tell him, say, I am yours. I am yours. Let that delight you. I am yours. I am yours, Father. Abba, I am yours. Holy Spirit, have your way this morning. Amen. All right, so you guys can sit down. Oh, come on, come on in. Welcome. <laughs> wow, I closed my eyes and there was hardly anyone. <laughs> okay, you guys, we're going to start in Luke. Luke 24. Yes, welcome to Pentecost Sunday. <laughs> it's festive in here, isn't it? We have fire and doves and rain and food and people and, and the presence of God. What more could we need, right? Okay, we're going to Luke 24, and we're going to start in verse 36. I could have just started in 47, but I want us to have the backstory. Okay? Remember that we're talking about Holy Spirit, and a couple weeks ago we talked about how Holy Spirit comes and broods over us. Remember? He comes and he hovers over the formless and void to bring something into existence. And this week we're talking about how he imprints upon us, how we take on his likeness. Yes? Yes. Okay. So let's start in um, verse 36, chapter 24, verse 36. While they were still discussing all of this, Jesus suddenly manifested right in front of their eyes. Okay. Like, come on. We can't just read lines like this and be like, oh, that's cool. Right? They're, they're hanging out and suddenly Jesus manifests. Listen, that would be like us here now, and Jesus all of a sudden is just here. They knew him to be dead, and now he's here. This is wild. Yes? This is wild stuff. Jesus is crazy. It's just wild. 
Jesus suddenly manifested right in front of their eyes, startled and terrified, right? Can I get an amen? Startled and terrified, the disciples were convinced they were seeing a ghost. Yeah, I would too. These are the moments, I've told you the story of John and I laying in bed one night and being like, we were so sure we wanted to see angels. So sure we wanted to see angels. And then all of a sudden there was a flash in the room in the corner and we pulled the covers up over our heads because we were startled and terrified. And these are just angels we're talking about, not dead Jesus manifesting in the middle of the room. Right? I am the living God. Don't be afraid. Why would you be so frightened? Don't let doubt and fear into your hearts, for I am. Come, gaze upon my pierced hands and feet. See for yourselves. It is I, standing here alive among you. Touch me and know that my wounds are real. See that I have a body of flesh and bone. See, this is bizarre. This is absolutely bizarre because this isn't just this isn't just a vision of Jesus. The last times being crucified, they're just not named. Whatever. They were there. Some of them were even in, involved in, in wrapping his dead body, caring for his dead body. And suddenly he's here among them flesh and blood, and he's inviting them, no, come and touch me. Come and feel me. Isn't that always the invitation that is before us? Right? We like to think that the invitation is to get ourselves right, but the invitation is really, come experience me. I am you. Yes? Okay, this is exciting, and you're not nearly excited enough. Could you kind of like, let's go. Verse 40, he showed them his pierced hands and feet and let them touch his wounds. Also bizarre. I mean, like, you have to actually put yourself in these scenarios going, like, if it were me, how would I have responded to the Jesus with holes in his hands and his feet and the invitation to put my finger through? Right? The paramedic is shaking his head, like, no, I'm not doing it, right? He sees ew all the time. And this is weird. It's weird. It's weird to have the I am inviting them to come and touch his wounds. It's just, it's weird. The disciples were ecstatic, yet dumbfounded. Anybody relate? Ecstatic, but dumbfounded, like, what are we doing here? Who are you? How did you get here? In other, in other gospels, it says he just walked right through the walls. He don't need a door, right? He is the door. The disciples were ecstatic yet dumbfounded, unable to fully comprehend what was going on. <laughs> yeah. Knowing that they were still wondering if he was real, Jesus said, here, let me show you. Give me something to eat. Isn't Jesus always relating to us with food? Always give me something to eat. I'll prove to you that I'm real. They handed him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and they watched as he ate it. I just love this. I love that Jesus was willing to sit down and say, let's eat together. I'll prove to you that I'm I'm real, that this is real, that this is reality, because I'm going to sit down and eat what it is that you feed me. Gosh. Then he said to them, don't you remember the words that I spoke that the flames are attracted to me? It's like, whatever. Don't you remember the words that I spoke to you when I was still with you? I told you that everything written about me would be fulfilled including all the prophecies from the law of Moses through the Psalms and the writings of the prophets, that they would all find their fulfillment. He supernaturally unlocked their understanding to receive the revelation of the scriptures. Okay, there's a lot going on here. It was enough that he manifested. It's enough that he walked through walls. 
he's so eager for us to understand him, to understand what it is that he has done, that he supernaturally unlocked their minds so that they would have the same understanding that he has. Can you say mind of Christ? Right? That's what's happening here. He's like, I'm going to bind your mind to mine. Take on my thoughts. Understand what I understand. See it the way that I see it. I believe in this moment their eyes were opened up to the kingdom that was all around them. Jesus didn't come empty-handed. He came with an entire kingdom. He was opening their eyes to understanding all of the scripture that these good Jewish boys had been taught. And suddenly, what they thought was just rules became a kingdom. Their minds were open to something brand new. How many of you would like this to happen? Yeah. Maria Woodworth Etter, she lived at the turn of the century. And she was like, God kept calling her and she kept saying, no, I don't know enough. She wasn't educated and she was just a woman. She couldn't even read. But God kept calling her. He kept calling her and he kept calling her. And this woman had so much loss in her life that she kept saying, no, I have all the reasons in the world to say no to the thing that you're calling me to do. And her final rebuttal was, I don't know the scripture. Ha! Right? God's like, I want you to go and preach. <laughs> don't know the scripture. Guess I can't do it. Flashed before her eyes was the Bible in an instant. The entire Bible is downloaded into her spirit. Now what, Maria? Don't tell God no. Right? He's fully capable of opening our minds to whatever it is that we need access to. Don't know the scripture? Get a download. Right? It happened right here. It happened in scripture. So if Mar Maria Woodworth Edder or Mariah, however you call her, if that story's not enough, then just read your Bible. He supernaturally unlocked their minds to understand scripture, to understand what he was doing here. See, most likely they're in a state of mourning because the Messiah is not what they had been taught he would be. He was supposed to come in and conquer, right? And so they're probably in a state of mourning already because the one that they put all of their hope in failed. He's dead. Their minds needed an upgrade. They needed to better understand what was happening. And if it wasn't enough that he just manifested, I don't know what, but still, he unlocked their minds. He supernaturally unlocked their understanding to receive the revelation of the scriptures, then said to them, Everything that has happened fulfills what was prophesied of me. Christ, the Messiah, was destined to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Now you must go into all the nations and preach repentance and forgiveness of sins so that they will turn to me. Start right here in Jerusalem. For you are my witnesses and have seen for yourselves all that has transpired. And I will send the fulfillment of the Father's promise to you. This is intimacy right here. I will send the fulfillment of the Father's promise to you. What's the Father's promise to us? Holy Spirit. That's the Father's promise. Jesus is saying, before I leave here, I'm, I, I'm, I'm telling you, you can bank on this. I'm sending the fulfillment of the promise. If this isn't enough that I just unlocked your minds to understand the revelation of scripture, I'm also telling you, you can bank on this, disciples. I'm sending the fulfillment of the Father's promise. That's why I have to go. Ah, this is just, it was so good. So stay here in the city until the mighty power of heaven falls upon you and wraps around you. Should I read that again? Because I don't think you, I don't think you heard it. Stay here in the city until the mighty power of heaven falls upon you and wraps around you. 
until the mighty power of heaven falls upon you and wraps around you. We have no excuse. We have no excuse. The mighty power of heaven has fallen upon us and is wrapped around us. That's, that's complete. Okay, let's jump over to John. Same scenario, but John records it a little bit differently. And we're going to start in chapter 20, verse 19. That evening, the disciples gathered together. And because they were afraid of reprisals from the Jewish leaders, they had locked the doors to the place where they met. But suddenly, Jesus appeared among them and said, Peace be with you. I just think it's funny. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're just there. They're scared, right? They're, they're like, they've locked the doors. And Jesus just appears and peace be with you. I don't know. What an incredible greeting. And he told them, just as the Father has sent me, I'm now sending you. He wastes no time. Peace be with you. Now listen. Just as the Father has sent me, I'm now sending you. Then taking a deep breath, he blew on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. I send you to preach the forgiveness of sins, and people's sins will be forgiven. But if you don't proclaim the forgiveness of their sins, they will remain guilty. What I want us to pay attention to here is that we put, we, we put all the Holy Spirit stuff in Acts, right? But actually what happened before Jesus even ascended, remember he's gathered together with now he's seeing new creation life, right? He has already birthed his bride. And what is happening here before he leaves, he gives them a new commission to go and preach the forgiveness of sins. And he breathes life on them. The same way that he breathed life into Adam's nostrils in the garden, He's now breathing life into what is brand new. Brand new. He's breathing Holy Spirit power, life into them right there in that moment. How come we skip past this? How come we don't sit in this realizing that the fulfillment of the Father's promise was given before he ever took off? Before he ever ascended into a different realm, he offered the fulfillment of the promise. With a new commission. See, before he told them, go and heal the sick, raise the dead, and cast out demons. And now he's telling them, Go and preach forgiveness everywhere you go. Do you remember in scripture when Jesus would come upon someone who needed a healing and he would just simply say to them, your sins are forgiven? And that really ruffled the feathers of the church leaders of the day because he wasn't addressing the sickness or he wasn't addressing the demon. He was just simply addressing the need for forgiveness. I think it's all wrapped up. It's all wrapped up into forgiveness. I think that we can go out into all the world and preach the message of forgiveness. Your sins have been pardoned. And people will be healed. Demons will flee. And the dead will be raised. He wouldn't have said it if it wasn't true. But what we've done is focused on the sin, the demonic, and the sickness. When all Jesus is saying, receive the promise, preach forgiveness. What are we doing with the promise? I think we shelved it. 
But if we were to pick it back up, we would be functioning in the gospel that presents forgiveness. We would stop counting wrongs against ourselves first so that we can stop doing it against one another. And we would believe him when he said that he's removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. We would believe him if we would allow the promise to be applied to us. See, what Holy Spirit is doing in us and through us is convicting us of our innocence in Christ. You didn't hear me. What Holy Spirit is doing in and through us is convicting us of our innocence in Christ. Otherwise, the blood of Jesus doesn't matter. We're innocent, blameless. And to say anything else is to be in defiance of the cross. So I think that it would be really important for us to drop the act of proving how bad we are and start living as though we are the innocent ones. Blood-bought. Should we keep reading? Let's go to Acts now. So we know that there's some Holy Spirit action happening, right? We get really caught up in the Holy Spirit was on them in the Old Testament, but now he's in them. Well, let's stop trying to decipher whether Holy Spirit was partially in and partially out. They're possessed at this point, okay? He breathed life into them, and not just any kind of life. Holy Spirit life has been breathed into the disciples. They are now possessed by another. See, possession doesn't belong to the kingdom of darkness, right? Possession belongs to the kingdom of heaven. We are possessed by the spirit of God. Jesus did what he did so that we could experience the promise of the Father. Guys, that's good news. That's just, it's good news. I don't know where you're at this morning, but that's good news. Acts 2. And we know this story really well. This is just so fun. Because remember, before Jesus took off, he said, stay until the helper comes. Which I think is interesting that he said this on the backside of breathing life into them. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you, but I've been in encounters with Holy Spirit where my life is turned upside down and, and everything is far more colorful than it was 10 seconds prior, right? Encountering Holy Spirit does something. However, he's, he's raising the bar, right? So the fellas and the girls, they're up in the upper room. Tarrying, whatever that means. Waiting, waiting patiently. I I would think with some anticipation, waiting with some anticipation, probably a little bit of anxiety. When is this going to happen? How long, oh Lord, must we wait? But it happens. On the day Pentecost was being fulfilled, all the disciples were gathered in one place. Suddenly they heard the sound of a violent blast of wind rushing into the house from out of the heavenly realm. The roar of the wind was so overpowering, it was all anyone could bear. Then all at once, a pillar of fire appeared before their eyes. It separated into tongues of fire that engulfed each one of them. You know those cutesy pictures that we saw in Sunday school where it's just this little flickering flame on their heads? Um, this says it's a pillar of fire and it engulfed them. 
The footnote that Brian Simmons adds on the scripture that we just read in um, John 20, it says in there that what Jesus, when Jesus was offering a fulfillment of Holy Spirit, he was offering the fulfillment of life through Holy Spirit. And in Acts, when Holy Spirit came, it was the fulfillment of power of Holy Spirit. Can you see that? Where it was like the breath of life breathed on them by Jesus, the gentle lamb. And now it's if the lion has entered the room and he's going, power, be empowered. Both are important. It's important that we understand the life that we have access to and how to wield the power that has been given us. Okay, so they're engulfed right now, okay? Like they're in a flame, pillar of fire. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Pillar of fire that, you know, accompanied the children as they left Egypt into the... No, you're, you're right on. It's, it, that's, that's it. It's, it's the return of the pillar of fire, but this time they're engulfed. Right? They, they have been, they have been taken by the fire. Wow. They were all filled and equipped by the Spirit to speak in languages they had never learned. Now, at that time, there were Jewish worshipers who had immigrated from many different lands to live in Jerusalem. When the people of the city heard the roaring sound, Crowds came running to where it was coming from, stunned over what was happening because, because each one could hear the disciples speaking in his or her own language. Bewildered, they said to one another, aren't these all Galileans? So how is it that they hear them speaking in their own languages? We are Northeastern Iranians, Northwestern Iranians, Elamites, however you say that, and those from Mesopotamia, Judea, East Central Turkey, the coastal areas of the Black Seas, Asia, North Central Turkey. You get the idea. These people are from all over and they're all understanding what it is that the disciples are saying. What I think is really interesting is that this, this wind, this mighty, powerful wind that entered into the space that the disciples were waiting in attracted. Everyone came running out. It was attractive. Everyone came to see what was going on. And yes, we could say that, you know, they were just ambulance chasers and, you know, they just needed to be at the scene, whatever. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that the power is attractive. You want to know why we're losing all of our young people? We aren't putting any power on display. We have not rightly offered in the same measure what Holy Spirit has made available to us. And kids, that's not an excuse. You have access. Don't squander the fulfillment of the promise. Seriously. You guys have it made. You have no idea how set up you are. God has given you parents who are so on fire and reaching for more, 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 more. You have access. You're just being lazy. Sorry, calling you out. You guys have a call on your life to set the world on fire. Seriously, you need to start releasing rather than just receiving. All right, where was I? Okay, we were reading through all of the different languages, blah, blah, blah. Um, verse 7, bewildered, they said to one another, Aren't, wait, we already read that. 11, thank you. It's always good for someone to keep track of me. Yet we hear them speaking of God's mighty wonders in our own dialects. They all stood there dumbfounded and astonished. Sound familiar? 
They all stood there dumbfounded and astonished, saying to one another, what is this phenomenon? I want to draw your attention to the fact that when Jesus just manifested himself, who was dumbfounded and astonished? The disciples. Now the disciples are receiving power from on high, and who's dumbfounded and astonished? The world! Don't tell me the world's going to hit hell in a handbasket, because if they are, it's your fault. Put some power on display so that they will stand dumbfounded and astonished. The world is just roaming in the wilderness because you're not being who you have been created to be. Living in fullness means the world will be attracted and pulled into the power that your life is putting on display. That's what it means to be imprinted upon by Holy Spirit. That you will become the attraction. We get into the law of attraction in our, 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 our day and age, can I say? The law of attraction, right? We, we see it. We see it. Like we get a new car and all of a sudden everybody has that car. They call that the law of attraction. But the real law of attraction is the power of Holy Spirit in you. It, the world hasn't gone astray. The church has. We've been content to be the damsel in distress when we're really the ones who have access to all of the power. You want to know why young people are leaving the church and becoming witches? Because there's power there. There's power there. All of the other religions that are available are offering power. And we're just sitting over here whining about all the other religions. See, this is the difference. If you think back to the story, my mind goes immediately to the movie Prince of Egypt. Sorry, it came out when I was raising kids. Um, When, you know, Moses shows up and God's telling him, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And, and Pharaoh has his, his magicians or whatever, high priests or whatever they are. And they go into competition, right? Like who has the most power? And Moses has this authentic power and the high priests have this false sense of power, but they're still able to do it. They've tapped into something. The world is tapping into something because the world is hungry for power, but it's not going to sustain them because they're looking for something authentic, but the church will not put on display, an authentic display of power. But it's what's ours. We're so busy whining and complaining about what's not going well with our lives when we actually have access to the answer to make things go well with our lives. If there's something in your way, you're just not laying hold of the engulfing pillar of fire. Am I right? It's what we have access to. See, the church has to stop playing the role of the damsel in distress because we're not. We're kings and priests. We're the ones ushering in the power into every single scenario that we come up against. And we have to just start practicing the presence. We have to start practicing our power. You have a scenario that's coming up against you and it's frustrating the junk out of you? Don't whine first. Lay hold of some power and cause that thing to respond to what's in you rather than you responding to what's in it. It's different. Jesus did what he did so that we could have what he had, right? Greater things. Say, I'm made. No, with some passion. I'm made for greater things. I'm made for greater things. Greater than what? Greater than what Jesus did. You guys, we're not even greater than the Old Testament things. 
We're not even doing those things. And there are some crazy stories. I started reading Ezekiel this last week. Just the first four chapters are crazy. Crazy. Like, I can't even wrap my mind around the crazy on this. And I think that that's what happens is God invites us into the crazy and we're like, can't comprehend it, must return. But see, the disciples couldn't comprehend him manifesting in the middle of the room either. If you will stand, he will open your mind to the revelation of what it is that he's doing. We turn very quickly. Our minds are drawn to the wandering in the wilderness. And our minds have to be transformed to want to see the thing through. Remember, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. And it's the glory of kings to search it out. You were made to search things out. Not made to fear everything. But that's how we're living. We're afraid of everything. I think we've yet to experience the engulfing flame. Pillar of fire. I don't even think we can call it a flame anymore, guys. The engulfing pillar of fire. That's ours to experience. And it's supposed to be in a greater measure. We are like 2,000 years removed from this happening in the first place. And it's supposed to get greater and greater. So I'm telling you, don't yield to fear. Get possessed. Okay? Are we good? All right. We'll just finish this with this line here in 13. But others poked fun at them and said, they're just drunk on new wine. Well, yes. Yes, they were drunk on new wine. See, that's the other thing, you guys, is like we are so easily offended by everything that we reject the expression that Jesus is introducing on the earth, right? Like we get so easily offended by everything that we miss what it is that he's doing. I remember years ago when we were first introduced to the joy. It was offensive. It was offensive to see people outside of themselves acting a fool. I mean, there were people clucking like chickens. Yes, barking. There was, there was a whole movement of barking that took place. Yeah, you know what we're busy doing? Judging them instead of entering in. Maybe barking needed to happen. I mean, have you ever howled? There's something released in a howl. <laughs> I don't know. I don't have the answers to why these things happen. I just know that once I allowed myself to stop being offended, I got got. You know? And and when you get got, there's just no telling what God's going to do with you because you're possessed. There will be people that come along and judge you, I promise. They're going to tell you, sister, you're out of control. Yeah. Yeah. That should be our response. Yes. I'm possessed. Maybe don't go around telling people that you're possessed, but you know, <laughs> it's kind of fun. Okay. We are going to go to um, Romans. Guys, look. This is a sweet little translation. Some would call it a paraphrase. Don't care. It's the word of the Lord. It's called the heart of Paul. And I want to read Romans 12 out of it. 
I've got it like it's all falling apart. And so I've got it tied up with a ribbon. Isn't that cute? Okay, we're going to 12. Romans 12. But I like the way that, that it's laid out in here. It's just so beautiful. Do you ever just love reading different translations so you have to think? I think we become so familiar with the right translations that we, we never have to be pierced by a new way of considering it. And so I love reading different translations for that reason. Twelve, one, with a vision then of the ultimate fulfillment of all things, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to offer your whole self to God with no strings attached. Wow. I urge you to offer yourselves up with no strings attached. No strings where? Attached to what? Right? Are we really giving ourselves to the kingdom realm? Or are we kind of saying, like, I kind of like it back here too? Right? Like, it can't work that way. You can't be fully possessed if you want to be partially over here and a little bit in the kingdom. See, because there's no mixture allowed. No mixture. It's, it's grace that has to be drink straight. Nothing added. Right? I don't even have the quote handy, but there is a beautiful quote about it. We, we have diluted the gospel to the point where it fails to have any substance. We don't like the message of grace because it's not fair. It's not. Your worst enemy is included. It's not fair. Fairness wasn't the point. Family was. He wanted his creation back. He wanted his creation back and he wants creation to look like him. To be image bearers. For us to be in right standing. To be imprinted by the power of Holy Spirit. The likeness of the Father. Fairness wasn't the point. Family's the point. That we would all see ourselves sitting at the same table enjoying the feast that's been set out right before our enemies. Don't you love Psalm 23? I love Psalm 23. If you don't love Psalm 23, then we need to talk because you really need to see yourself in Psalm 23. There's not a word in there that says, and along the way they got washed clean by the babbling brooks. They went through the, the, the waterfall of purity so that they could first sit at the table. That's not how it happened. You come and you eat at the table and then suddenly you're like him and you never pay attention to whether you're clean or not because that's what grace does. It's a gospel message of forgiveness. You have been forgiven. It's not clean yourself up so you can sit. Right now in our world, we have a couple different tables going on. We've got one smack dab underneath the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. And boy, do we love it there. We do. We love sitting underneath this table. Oh, man. We love to know the things that God knows. We love to judge. That person's wrong. That politician is crooked and evil. We love it. We love it, love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. Maybe those are the strings with no strings attached. This table underneath the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it's a dinner club where the rules always change. And not everyone is welcome. We decide based on that day's temperature, mood, who gets to sit, whether they've paid their dues. Maybe they're not clean enough or maybe they're too clean and I don't feel good around them. So goodbye. 
We love this table. We love it. But this is the thing that, that the Holy Spirit is trying to burn out of us, is this need to know whether you're right or wrong. To be able to make a judgment call on whether you should belong or not. We love this table. But see, at this table, people die. People are harmed. At this table, You want to know where the demonic realm sups? At the dinner club underneath the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But see, there's another table that sits underneath the tree of life. And it's a table that has no end. And there is a chair for everyone. And this this table, I'm just sure, is laid out right in front of that dinner club. Right? And I don't have to do anything to take my seat at this table. I don't have to do anything. Sitting is the response. It doesn't matter to him. He sees us based on what he spoke into existence. He made us all. Made us all on that day. Made us male and female in his likeness. Right? Made us all. He spoke us all into existence. He knew exactly what we would look like, how we would react to his presence. He knew exactly how we would respond when he called our name on that day. Day six. Day six. He knew you. We get caught up in our short-term history based on what we've managed to do in our flesh bag. We get caught up and bound by what we have done as we're walking out this life. But the thing is that we fail to remember is that we have a history that began on day six. And I honestly don't care how you see the creation, whatever your stance is there, whether it's billions or millions and trillions or it's just, you know, several thousand. Don't really care. My point is the same. You've existed in God since day six. That's a whole lot more history than what you have been capable of screwing up. You were right in God. You have been right in God longer than you have been wrong in your sin. Why do we not think like this, right? Because we love the dinner club. This is the stuff that the dinner club tells us. That we're ensnared. Right? The, the dinner club needs us to continue to pay its dues or it can't exist. If we would just leave forever, we would just leave, walk away forever from the dinner club and take our seat once and for all we could actually step into the commission that Jesus left with us to go and preach the gospel of forgiveness. Sin? What? What sin? What are you talking about? What? God doesn't have eyes for sin. What? I don't understand. What? You're dirty? What? I don't get it. He's not dealing in sin. Why are we? Right? It's forgiveness. That's what's ours to deal in at this table. It matters what you're feasting on. 
If your thought life is carrying you away into, yes, but I've done this, that, and the other. Well, you're still a damsel in distress seated at the wrong table. Get up and remove yourself. Right? I know you've been wronged. I know. I know. You've been, you have been dealt poorly. I know. I get it. Someone was really mean to you. I understand. It's not a good enough excuse. Because everything that has been done wrong to you was righted on the cross. You don't have an excuse. Not saying that we don't need healing, but see, that's also at this table. Everything that you need is at this table. But as long as you like your pain, you're at the wrong table. Come over here. Over here, goodness and mercy follows you all the days of your life. Over there, you're being haunted by your own doom, your own demise. Sit at the right table, okay? Where were we? Anybody keeping track of me? You were, and then you weren't. <laughs> it's fine. Um, yes, I know I'm in 12. Thank you. Okay. Here we go. No strings attached. Genuine worship is a reasonable response for you to make to him. Genuine worship is a reasonable response for you to make to him. And don't pattern your life after the culture around you. Rather, permit the spirit of God within to transform your being and behavior by uniting your deepest thoughts and feelings with your actions so that you demonstrate God's intention, which is positive, acceptable, and fulfilling. Wow. That's kind of fun. Verse three. Because of God's unconditional love for me, I introduce these suggestions to every one of you to help you live the Christian life. Do not create a false image of yourself. Uh-oh. Do not create a false image of yourself. How do we do this? How do we, how do we create and step into a false image of ourselves? We're just not making a solid agreement with who God says we are, right? And then on top of that, we're not telling those in our lives, this is who I am, right? Like we need to become bold in these things where I am willing to go up and tell anybody, this is who I am. Like, I'm going to put you on notice. This is who I am. This is what I carry. And it's going to affect your life, right? When we don't boldly confess these things, we so easily create false images of who we are because nobody has an expectation otherwise. If all I know you to be is a damsel in distress, how do you think I'm going to treat you? I have nothing else to, to even reference because all you ever are is the damsel in distress. Now, I have eyes to see, right? We all have eyes to see, and I can call it the golden you, but it's your responsibility to introduce me to who you are. Yes? All right. That was good. Do not create a false image of yourself. Rather, honestly assess your personal worth in the light of your faith. Wow. Just as our physical bodies have many parts and all these parts have their special functions, so all of us are parts of the, of the one body of Christ and because of that are part of each other. Did you catch that? So when I'm living in fullness, then you have access to what I have and vice versa. This is really, really huge. We need to understand our oneness because what you're willing to walk in, I have access to. I don't want access to the damsel in distress. Nah, don't want that, okay? What I want access to is the facet of the character of the Father that is in your life. That's what I want access to, okay? And how will I ever know unless you announce to me who it is that you are, right? Okay. We have varying functions according to the different gifts which God's unconditional love has bestowed upon us. 
so let us use them. If we are speakers, let us speak in accordance with our confidence in that gift. He's giving you permission to be confident. We're so worried about being prideful that we walk around in false humility. You can't usurp anything from God. It's impossible. I dare you to try. You can't. Walk confidently in the gift that has been bestowed upon your life. If we are servers, let us serve. If teachers, we should teach. If we are encouragers, let us encourage. As givers, let us give genuinely without fanfare. Or as managers, let us do so with dedication. When we help others, let us do so cheerfully. Love without pretense. Resist evil. Respond to good. Feel your love and express it to each other. Wow, that's so good. Respect each other. Conduct your affairs industriously. Be alive with the Spirit. Be attuned to your own spirit in serving the Lord. Celebrate your hope. Be patient when things don't work out and keep on praying. Share with God's family who need your help and practice hospitality. This, this is reading a lot like Isaiah 58 that we have looked at over the last several weeks and in, in what it is that God says is a fasted lifestyle. It has nothing to do with abstaining from food. It has everything to do with how you're expressing love to those around you. That's how this is reading. I love it. Affirm the worth of those who try to put you down. Affirm them. Don't try to put them down harder. Duh. Celebrate with the celebrators and cry with the sad. Be as mindful of the other person's worth as you are of your own. Don't give special attention to celebrities and the wealthy, but recognize the unrecognized. Don't get conceited over what you know. Repay no one a put down for a put down. Easier said than done. Can we agree? Yeah. It's really easy to lash out. <laughs> Think of those things that are good in your relations with all people. Do your utmost to live in harmony with everyone. That's good. All right. We're almost done, I promise. So basically what that was saying is surrender. Your life is not your own anymore. We have to surrender we started this year off in a space of surrendering. And I feel like there's an, another wave of surrendering coming in. And I'm not trying to be all weird and out there, but I do, I feel it. I feel like this wave mounting and God asking for us to surrender again, to go low again. And I'm not saying that we ever should get up from a place of surrendering, right? We shouldn't. We should always be in a surrendered place before the Lord. But in the surrendering, we have new revelation offered up to us, right? It's for our own benefit that we surrender. It, it's time that we go low yet again, okay? We need to get ourselves into a space of knowing who he is. John and I were gifted tickets to go see um, the new Top Gun movie yesterday. Our son bought us tickets for Mother's Day and Father's Day. And we were so excited. We even, we even prepped for it by watching the old one last Wednesday. <laughs> Such good students. Such good students of the movie going. And um, there was a line in this movie. Tom Cruise is asked to, to do something that he did not feel equipped to do. And in a heated moment, he blurts out and says that it's not about what I am. It's about who I am and how do I teach that? And in that moment, I was like, I felt, felt God enter into the room. And he was like, that, Angie, that. It's not about what I am. It's about who I am that matters and how do we teach that. We've gotten so hung up on the what, right? What can God do for me? And he's mostly invested in who he can be for us. 
And how do we teach that? Right? I feel like that was the, the, the clincher of the whole thing was, and how can I teach that? How do we teach the who of God? Do you know in scripture, it actually tells us, John 17, it tells us that it's knowing God that is eternal life. It's not dying that's eternal life. Knowing God is eternal life. Knowing him. And the only way that we're going to be able to teach the who of God is by knowing him. We're going to go to one more spot in scripture, Galatians 5.16, because it wouldn't be appropriate for us to leave this without looking at the fruits of the Spirit, right? Agree with me, because I'm right. Thank you. Okay, we're going to start in um, verse 16. This is so good. As you yield freely and fully to the dynamic life and power of the Holy Spirit, you will abandon the cravings of your self-life. Oh, so how many of you were asking, how do I get up from the dinner club and go over to the right table? Oh, it's because this is how it's done right here. It tells us to, to yield freely and fully to the dynamic life and power of Holy Spirit. You want to know how to do it? Yield freely and fully to the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit. Easy enough, right? That was half-hearted. <laughs> For your self-life craves the things that offend the Holy Spirit and hinder him from living free within you. And the Holy Spirit's intense cravings hinder your old self-life from dominating you. Interesting. You should go back and read this. So then, the two incompatible and conflicting forces within you are your self-life and of the flesh and the new creation life of the Spirit. Choose! Choose which table do you want to sit at? Do you want to live a life without strings attached? Choose which table you're going to sit at. But when you are brought into the full freedom of the spirit of grace, you will no longer be living under the dominion of the law, but soaring above it. Anybody in here want to soar above it? The cravings of the self-life are obvious. Sexual immorality, lustful thoughts, pornography, chasing after things instead of God, manipulating others, hatred of those who get in your way, senseless arguments, resentment when others are favored, temper tantrums, angry quarrels, only thinking of yourselves, being in love with your own opinions. <laughs> These are so funny. Being envious of the blessings of others, murder. It made the list. I know, crazy. Uncontrolled addictions, wild parties, and other similar behavior. Haven't I already warned you that those who use their freedom for these things will not inherit the kingdom realm of God, but the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you is divine love in its varied expressions. I love that it's prefaced with that, that it's divine love and its varied expressions are this, joy that overflows, peace that subdues, patience that endures, kindness in action, a life of virtue, faith that prevails, gentleness of heart, and strength of spirit. Never set the law above these qualities, for they are meant to be limitless. Other translations say that for these there is no law. These are meant to be limitless. So before you start thinking, well, I'm not going to step into joy that overflows unless it's authentic. Can I just invite you to laugh anyway? You know what I'm saying? Like, sometimes you just have to do the thing. 
you don't need to be so worried about it being an inauthentic expression of Holy Spirit or love, right? Like, laugh. We have access. So sometimes you have to just lay hold of the action and, and do it. If you want peace that permeates, position yourself in peace. We have access. These are the expressions of love that are promised us. They are the fulfillment of the promise that the Father has given. Don't just let them sit there. Use them. Right? Let's use them. All right. Let me pray for us. Oh, Holy Spirit. I just, right now, you know what? I'm just going to invite pillars of fire. Because why not? We need your fire. Seat us at the right table, Father. We yield. We yield our lives to you. We no longer want to be a part of the dinner club. Sever the ties to the old life once and for all. Empower us, Holy Spirit. We yield to you. It's no longer us who lives, but you who are living powerfully as us. We give up the life of the damsel in distress and admit that we are the solution. We are the answer to the world's cry. And we will be the ones who put your power on display that everyone everywhere is desperate to lay hold of. That we will be the ones who preach the gospel message of forgiveness. We will be the ones to convict the world of their innocence in you. Holy Spirit, cause us to hunger and thirst for the righteousness. Cause us to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Our likeness in you, Father. Holy Spirit, cause us to hunger and thirst for righteousness. That we would just yearn for you. And as we yield to a next wave of surrendering, we would do so with great joy and expectation of what it is that you're bringing, of the new expression that you're bringing to our lives. We love you. We love you. Amen.